Wellness Force Radio, Episode 61. In America, there's, there's so much lobbying that goes on with the food industry that these ads are so manipulated towards children. The, the way that the labels are deliberately ambiguous, it makes you want to pull your hair out because once you've lifted the veil and seen what actually goes on, I mean, I, I sat at a, a chemical sensors lab in Philadelphia watching 20 children try different flavors of pudding and the sweetness in the pudding, and they'd just to get the optimal amount of sweetness so that company knew what children's preferences were. And once you see that, it just makes your blood boil given the levels of obesity and type 2 diabetes that we're seeing in children now. And we've, we've got no help, you know, and, and the minute you step outside and people say, oh, it's a nanny state, and when, you think, well, you know what, we've actually got a nanny now, but she's doing a horrifically terrible job. Welcome back to another episode. This is Josh Trent, your host, and thanks for sharing your time with me, my friend, here on the podcast. This show is where I give you access to the most inspiring and passionate leaders in behavior change and wellness technology. Today, you and I get to come together to learn from a world-class leader who is dedicating their life to driving real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is a huge one. This is an extra special episode because we're going three levels deep to get knowledge and tools from actor, filmmaker, and author Damon Gamow. He's the creator of That Sugar Film, and it came out last year, but this is a film that no matter when you watch it, will change the way you think about healthy foods. It was the highest grossing documentary of all time in Australia and stars actors Hugh Jackman and comedian Stephen Fry. With over 300 special effects scenes, it's a powerful one, but what's more intense than the ride we go on in this movie and in this interview with Damon today is the impact of this film on the sugar industry. It's absolutely no surprise. Many people you know, probably one in four, have either dealt with or currently in the process of breaking a sugar addiction. So why is it so incredibly hard for us to let go of sugar? Personally, with clients, I see a lot of great progress when it comes to activity and sleep and water. But the sugar piece, it's a subtle foe. When you least expect it, it can kind of creep back into the diet and start wreaking havoc on our progress. This interview really hit me in the chest and in my stomach. I talk about some things from my childhood that came up during the interview live with Damon, and he shares some shocking findings of his 60-day, quote, healthy food challenge, where he developed non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and gained an incredible amount of weight from eating 2,300 or less calories a day while maintaining a healthy exercise program. And interestingly enough, he did this just by eating heart-approved healthy foods. If you're on a wellness journey and letting go of old weight, or if you're looking for more energy, this episode is going to be an absolute knockout for you. So we'll hurry up and get Damon on the show here. My only hope is that it impacts you and inspires you as much as it did for me to begin to take a more honest look at how sugar impacts our health, our moods, and our relationships. This episode is controversial. It will piss some people off, but that's okay because no matter where you stand about sugar in your diet, we simply cannot ignore the science anymore for how sugar, specifically fructose, impacts the quality of our life. Let's jump into this powerful conversation with Damon Gamow. Damon, welcome to the show. Hello, Josh. Thanks for having me. I am so pumped. I've been watching your movie. I've watched it three times in the past week prepping for the show. And this goes in alignment with something I think a lot of people are just unaware of. And that is the effect of labels and the education for busy parents or just human beings out there that eat food. We all eat food and how this impacts our wellness. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. 
You are a film director. You're a writer. You were an actor for over 10 years before you even made the film. And it's funny, you know, you, you've been quoted on many interviews. You said, I was living on cigarettes, sugar, and pizza, Australian homemade pizza, as a lot of men do. But then before you even had any indication that you would empower so many lives through this film, you met this girl named Zoe. And to try to impress her, you started pulling sugar out of your diet. Walk us through what this was like. <laughs> No, I think it was more that I think uh, many men will attest to this, that often when they are trying to woo a, wim- a woman in the first couple of months, they sort of pretend to be interested in a whole range of things they really don't care too much about. Yeah. And um, that happened to be healthy eating for me. So Zoe was a very sort of clean eater. She sort of hadn't really, she hadn't been raised on sugar. She was brought up in Indonesia. She had a very different palate. So, you know, she just started preparing these meals for us early on in the relationship and, um, you know, I didn't want to be rude. I, I desperately wanted to, to impress her. So I just kind of pretended to enjoy these, you know, kale and cucumber smoothies and weird kind of organic flaxseed bread <laughs> toasts with all these strange ingredients that I'd never had before. But uh, I guess after about six or seven weeks, I just noticed that I, I'd actually cut back sugar a lot in my diet than what I was used to and could see the benefits, you know, not only weight loss, but you know, skin and my eyes and my moods changed. I slept better and I just thought, God, it's pretty incredible. And I hadn't, you know, I just spoke to a couple of people and they said, look, you know, you're probably pretty sensitive to, to added sugars. And, you know, that was it. I just kind of uh, never turned back from there. I just really enjoyed that new way of operating and living in terms of the vitality and whatnot. And um, that was the case for the next three years and, until I got the opportunity to make the film. So I really didn't think much about it. It just became the normal, it just became how I lived. Do you feel like in your life and with people that are really successful that something finds them? I almost feel like looking at your story, man, this film found you. Yeah, look, I probably, I I don't share that with too many people, but I I, I agree. I think somewhere, I'd even have moments where I was writing it or, you know, someone would contact me and say, oh, I hear you're doing this film. And I just think, where did that come from? How is this happening? And I, I, you know, it's such um, a random change in in life for me in terms of, you know, I had no interest in nutrition before that. So to suddenly be sort of um, taking this film around the world, I've spoken to the Royal College of Medicine, we've had parliamentary screenings, we've had, you know, huge television audiences and whatnot. It just, it does seem bizarre. I don't know how it ended up happening, but um, yeah, right time, right place. It was just up to me, I think, to help share this message and get it out there. Well, you had a transformation personally, you know, not only in the way you ate, but in the way that your body felt. And I'm curious, you know, when you were doing this kind of digging and you were presented with the opportunity, I think you were out doing some acting or you were on a project and you got presented with this opportunity to make the film. You were about to have a baby on the way. Was there any fear going, wait a minute, how am I going to have a baby and then make this film at the same time? (laughs) No, I mean, I was just so naive. I think because um, for people that haven't seen the film, the catch of the film is that I, I eat, I do an experiment much like Supersize Me where I eat sadly what most Australians are eating every day, which is about 40 teaspoons of added sugar. But the catch is I do it without touching any soft drink or chocolate or ice cream or, or lollies. All the food I eat is uh, hidden sugar found often in perceived healthy foods like low-fat yogurts and cereals and muesli bars and things like this, granola bars. And... Um, so because I was eating that way, I, I genuinely didn't think that we'd get many results. And so I, I, you know, we shot the experiment first, very low budget. Zoe, my mum did some of the filming because we just didn't know if we would get any results. If I only put on half a kilo and nothing really happened, then you'd think, oh, well, well, let's not take it any further. There's not much to this this sugar stuff. It's all just speculation. But 
because things dramatically shifted in my body so quickly. I mean, you see in the film almost um, the onset of fatty liver disease after just three weeks. That really escalated things to the next level. And, um, yeah, I I did have a few moments of going, oh, God, I've got an eight-month pregnant wife here. I've just finished an experiment. I was stuck in America, still eating 40 teaspoons of sugar, feeling like absolute crap. (laughs) And, um, you know, there was some guilt there a couple of times. I'm thinking, God, I'd hate to miss the birth of my first child because I'm stuck doing this experiment soon. It sort of added to the drama in the film, I think. I think so. And and watching the film, I got to say, you know, I've watched many documentaries here in the health and wellness space. There's a lot of cookie cutter documentaries, Damon, where they just <laughs> present the facts. They don't do it in a fun way. But I got to be honest with you, this film is incredibly entertaining. You've mastered this articulation of, of this powerful message that serves our wellness, but you did it with this fun, colorful twist that I think reaches kids and teens and adults. Yeah. Why did you make this different? Why was this such a different approach for you? Well, that was always the intention. I think, you know, um, I'm a big fan of documentaries documentaries myself, but I know they often cater to a very um, select audience and they can be very, you know, reverent and, and earnest sometimes, overly earnest, I think, with their messaging. And so really the challenge for me was thinking, well, the people that need to see this documentary aren't the people that go and see documentaries. So there was always this drive to make it very broad and playful and colourful. And that's how we got, you know, Hugh Jackman's in the film and Stephen Fry and there's lots of rock and roll soundtrack and huge animation. So the kids, you know, they're used to that. They've got a very short attention span and they're the ones that we needed to get the message through to. So that was constantly sort of um, in, our, in our awareness as we, as we did the cut and moved along was that just what are kids thinking right now? Are the parents bored? Can, we, can the parents all sit down with the family and watch this together right now? And, you know, because the last thing you want is just mum understanding this stuff and then she becomes the nag trying to tell her kids you know, um, you know, what's going on with sugar, but this way the whole family's involved. And that's been the most overwhelming thing for us is, you know, I get stopped in the street every day by at least two or three families or children that are just obsessed with the film. And these are eight, nine, ten year olds. So, you know, they get it. They want to be healthy. They want to live great lives and, you know, have the most powerful body and brain that they can. And they really engage with the film. They really think it's fun and playful. And, and that's very, you know, heartwarming for me because that was always our intention. It might have something to do with you dressing up in that cool outfit with your wife and your baby, your family's engaged in those last scenes when there's a music video. It's really cool. But you shadow this fun and lightness and really you entertain, but you also educate. So it's edutainment. You've done a great job about that. And I think that's why this has resonated. There's, you know, a quarter of a million people on your Facebook page. Your Instagram grows every day. I was looking at some of the things you have on there. But let's unpack this project. I mean, as you had said, no lollies. By the way, what's a lolly for us in America? What's a lolly? is the confectionery so got it uh like you know gummy bears or kind of those jelly kind of lollies that you might get candy i think you call it yeah so your project rules were 40 grams of sugar a day from sucrose and fructose we're going to unpack the types of sugar here in a minute and this matches the australian average but as you had said no candy no soda no cookies desserts it's one thing to point out too as you artfully spoke about in the film one teaspoon i don't think a lot of people know this one teaspoon is a tiny bit over four grams of sugar must always choose low-fat foods and you had 10 minute workouts in your home gym, which is like water bottles on a broomstick and then three <laughs> laps around your garden. Is there anything else we missed about the project just so people can understand what you went through? Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's not 40 grams. It's actually um, 160 grams. So it's 40 teaspoons, which is four grams a teaspoon. So that's even scarier. That's how much Australians are having. Teenagers are having even more in this country. So they were the parameters. And yeah, like you said, just none of those kind of perceived junk foods that all of us might snack on or have a bit of a cheeky 
sticky thing after the dinner. All those things were eliminated, even the soft drinks. Um, it just had to be vitamin waters instead and juices and sports drinks, which, as we know now from the science, do almost exactly the same thing once they enter the, the body, whether it's a soft drink or a, or a flavored um, water, water drink. Those kind of sugar, water, those liquid calories um, are really deleterious to our health and the way they impact our liver and flood it. So. Um, that was the whole point, I guess, of the film that ended up being that way, is that you can eat this way and believe all those marketing, believe the packets, believe these healthy messages and the, you know, the labels with a bee and a flower and a vanilla pot on them, and they all look very innocent and playful, yet some of them have got just as much, if not more, sugar in them as these junk foods that we're not aware of. And it's crazy because in America, this hyper palatability of food is something that Rob Wolf talks about. He's the paleo movement leader. It's something that a lot of people touch on is this insane taste for sugar that we've cultivated over the years. Let's dive into the sugar policy. You highlight this in the film, but I got to be honest with you. This touches a core with me. You know, I was an obese kid myself and I can distinctly remember here there was a moment and I was on stage. I was performing and I fell and I kind of broke a piece on set and I felt so embarrassed. I run off the stage. I'm, I'm in the background. I'm 10 years old. I'm crying and I don't want to go perform later in the afternoon. My mom comes up to me and says, it's okay, sweetie. Here's a Snickers bar. Here I am connecting that I don't have to chase my dream. I don't have to face my fear because there's <laughs> sugar to make me feel better. And I don't know if anybody can relate to this because as children, we are so open to the parameters of what sugar can do for us. We're basically being indoctrinated at an early age from too much levels of sugar. And I know we're not demonizing sugar because sugar in healthy amounts is okay. But what we're seeing here in these modern times, it's insane. We have like Beyonce uh, with a shiny dress talking about Pepsi. We have like LeBron James slam dunking and high fructose Gatorade where they call it high crystalline fructose. There's even like KFC who sells pink buckets, buckets for boobs with cancer causing agents in their food, but yet sell foods in the way to save cancer and for cancer awareness. How do we do this? How do we fight these food companies that pay millions of dollars to kind of get their way into the hearts and minds of children mm. like me when I was nine before we can even get a glimpse of free will? How do we do this? Yeah, it's, look, it's a great point. We, we touch on that in the film. And there is a scene in the film where, um, you know, the Flintstones are lighting up a cigarette. It's an ad from the 1960s. And, you know, how do we take a break? Well, we pull out a Winston and have a smoke. And everyone laughs at that scene. Mm. And I think we will get to a point in the not too distant future, probably the next 10 or 15 years, where we'll, we'll look back at this time and look at these sports stars, like you said, and our athletes endorsing these types of foods and really look at it for the madness that it is. And I'm, what I'm confident about is that if you look at tobacco as a comparison, it took about 40 years to sort of really get that awareness in the mainstream. And that's because really there was only a few select channels of media. There's maybe four TV stations, a couple of newspapers. And so the companies could really steer and guide the public perception into what their beliefs were. But that's all completely blown apart now. We've got these social media where things are spreading so fast and people are sharing their information and their own stories. But I'm very confident it's going to actually turn around a lot faster. And we're already seeing that in Australia. There's almost kind of shaming campaigns around these athletes that are endorsing these kind of products. So, you know, and even, you know, seeing that the, the amount of athletes that have responded to the film and watched it, even in, in America, the Lakers have seen the film and Golden State Warriors and, and lots of organizations here in Australia, that a lot of these guys aren't touching these drinks anyway. Mm. So the next step is the fact that they've stopped is great. I mean, the Lakers were having kombucha when I was there. Um, the next step will be that they'll, they'll understand the, the connection of the integrity and they'll stop endorsing it to the kids because if they're not even having it at that elite level, then we've just got to make sure that it isn't getting to the kids. But, you know, the story you talk about, the Snickers, is really interesting because the research now says that these, this sugar releases the same opioids, the same endorphins in our brain that love does. So 
but it's a very comforting food and that's why people have a very strong emotional attachment to sugar. Not everyone, but most people are very, very sensitive to it. And so it's very easy to sort of turn to it as this kind of quick fix, a quick hit. If you're feeling a bit down, it's quite comforting. But as you know, that really starts to develop a pattern and a cycle. And it's important for parents to understand that with their children, you know, to mm-hmm. let them feel those real emotions and understand and process them as opposed to covering it up with, with a substance, which, as we all know, can turn into different substances as we get older, but can often start with sugar. Well, it's interesting because one of the people you had that was a really big focal point was David Wolf. And he talks about this connection between consumerism and buying products and consuming more than we actually need. And the connection between how we learn this in childhood and how we have this relationship with sugar, that it's almost become a sugar way of being. You know, you came to America, you broke my heart, this documentary piece where you visited Kentucky and Mm. you met this kid. His name was Larry, right? Yeah. So Larry's in Kentucky and he has all of his teeth rotted out from drinking Mountain Dews. Everybody's going to go see the film. We're going to link it in the show notes for wellnessforce.com slash sugar. So go there now. You can actually get directed over to Damon's site. But Damon, you know, this Kentucky story, this isn't just one isolated event. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of kids that are having dental caries early. So sugar is affecting people, not just from a physical standpoint, but whatever happened to Larry? I'm so curious. Like, did he get, (laughs) did he get healed? Did he get his teeth? replaced? Did he stop drinking it? He did. If you look up actually on our Instagram or even our Facebook page, I posted a, a photo that his sister sent in to us of him um, having his teeth done and he just, he looks so happy and wonderful. Um, I have had a bit of contact with him recently and uh, it's been great for him because a lot of people have seen the film in his town now. So hmm. he's uh, really enjoying, I think, his little mini burst of uh, a bit of fame. But uh, he's, yeah, he's really good. And look, that, that was a very emotional part of the film for, for me to make and, and, and the crew as well. And Larry was just so brave and he really wanted to, to share his story so that other people could see what, what impact these drinks are having on teeth. And, you know, I showed that scene early on to some dentists because I was a bit apprehensive as to whether to put it in the film because, you know, there, are, there is some graphic elements to it. Mm. And, you know, they all told me, they said, look, you have to keep this in because I don't think this only happens in these lower socioeconomic areas. We see this same condition in the cities from, from mothers who think they're doing the right thing and give their children juice, you know, in their bottles. And this is what happens to the teeth. So you need to get this out. And in fact, you know, if you look at the UK or, or even Australia, you know, the, the, the highest incident of, of hospital admission around trauma for children is around tooth decay. So, you know, there's so much debate and speculation around sugar. Even now, people sort of say, oh, you know, as, you know there are other ways to put on obesity. It's all about weight. Yet I think people are starting to realize that sugar has these effects in so many other ways. Uh, for me, it's, it's more the internal, the visceral fat, all the metabolic symptoms that sugar creates. Mm-hmm. But it's also the teeth. I mean, that's just the number one thing. No other substance that we consume attacks our tooth enamel like sugar. So in terms of children, that's why the World Health Organization recommend about three teaspoons, you know, about 12 grams, no more than that a day for children. But if you look at the studies, they're having five or six times that amount. So, you know, that's a great area just to, to address straight away. Well, and again, we don't want to demonize any industry because, you know, without the food industry, we wouldn't eat. But I have to call Pepsi out here. You know, in the film, Pepsi actually offered to buy this dentist uh, another truck, but not to fund education programs about teaching kids to consume healthy levels of sugar. Because, I mean, this would eat into their profits just the same way that it eats into kids' gums, really. And How do you not get angry as a filmmaker seeing stuff like this happen? I mean, I know you're doing such a great thing with launching the film and pushing the message, but how do you not get personal? upset when you come across this kind of information? 
Oh, well, you do. I mean, you, you know, you're a human. You can't not. That's probably one of the big drivers of making the film was to, was to share this kind of information and, and, you know, show how people are being manipulated. And, you know, I found that even when I went to the States to release the film. We did a couple of very, very big sort of commercial network shows and, and a couple of times I'd have a lawyer come on from the Sugar Association who would, you know, tell me before I went on what I wasn't allowed to say and what I wasn't allowed to link sugar to. And, you know, this this makes you very upset because you think people are being misled out there and they're continually to get sick and they're programming their children to have these foods. And, you know, it's a broken system. There's no doubt about it. It's a system that says, you know, make money at all, at all costs, you know, please the shareholder but without any uh, awareness or understanding of the negative effects of that product. And it's the same with Coca-Cola. You saw in the Aboriginal section in the film where, you know, our, uh, the Ab- Coke is the highest selling uh, region per capita in these Northern Territory in the Ab- Aboriginal stores. That's where they make their most money all around the world is it selling these drinks to our Aboriginal people. And our Aboriginal people are dying, you know, very young. And they're having horrific disease and kidney failures. And, and they're all alcohol-free zones. This is because they're having five or six cans of this kind of stuff these drinks a day. And yeah, that makes you very angry. And so, you know, thankfully we've been able to start a foundation to go out there and train up some people and remove the sugary drinks from the stores. And that's all you can do because you just, it baffles you the fact that this government, our government in Australia still allows this kind of thing to happen. Or in in America, there's, there's so much lobbying that goes on with the food industry that these ads are so manipulated towards children. The way that the labels are deliberately ambiguous, it makes you want to pull your hair out because once you've lifted the veil and seen what actually goes on, I mean, I, I sat at a, a chemical sensors lab in Philadelphia watching 20 children try different flavors of pudding and the sweetness in the pudding and they'd just to get the optimal amount of sweetness so that company knew what children's preferences were. And once you see that, it just makes your blood boil given the levels of obesity and type 2 diabetes that we're seeing in children now. And we've, we've got no help, you know. And, and the minute you step outside and people say, oh, it's a nanny state, and you think, well, you know what, we've actually got a nanny now, but she's doing a horrifically terrible job. Our kids are getting fat and sick. She needs to be sacked and we need to bring a new one, you know. So it's important. It's not nanny state. It's about educating. It's about transparency so the playing field is level because at the moment – I don't think it is level. People have no idea the level of science that goes into their products. They're constantly told just to count their calories. If it's their fault, then if they're fat and overweight, or sorry, or sick, then hey, you didn't count your calories properly. They have no comprehension of what's really going on behind the scenes. And when it's fair and even, absolutely, then yep, full personal responsibility. But unfortunately, it's very skewed at the moment. And yet that's what the companies are crying. Well, I want to pump the brakes. I think I got a little heated based on my Snickers bar episode when I was a kid. But let's unpack this history that you paint a little bit of in your documentary film, This Sugar Policy. You know, President Eisenhower in the 50s, he had this heart condition that led to Ansel Keys' theory that fat was the problem. And then all of a sudden, by the late 1970s, we started to see sugar increase by the multitudes in foods and fat drop. Because in, in order to make food taste you know, palatable so we won't spit it out, if you take away the fat, you got to add in the sugar. We have scientists that know about this kind of lust that we have for sugar. I mean, look, sugar in nature, you know, for millennia, for for evolution has been very rare, especially fructose. Can you talk a little bit about your findings in working with these scientists and people like Gary Tobbs? What came up for you that was the most shocking in regards to sugar policy? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a couple of things happened, but really that sort of turning point was in the late 60s and sort of early 70s there when this debate was really going on. And I think, you know, you just have to look now at some of the, the, the people that have sort of really debunked that science from the time, which really vilified saturated fat and said, hey, this is, this is it. We found, which, you know, we found the, the, the antidote. This is what's causing all the problems in the heart disease. And so everyone focused on those fats. And as a result, anyone that kind of even looked at sugar or started to do research on it was pretty much ridiculed. And that started with a, a British nutritionist named John Yudkin, who really sort of put his, his hand up at the time and said, look, guys, before we jump to these conclusions around saturated fat, you know, my research is showing in mice and, and some of my human trials that excess sugar might be also contributing to the problem. But he was completely vilified and ridiculed. And what that meant is that pretty much for the next 15, 20, maybe even 30 years, anyone that kind of attempted to investigate the film was almost sort of ostracized from the scientific community. As look, We all know there's nothing wrong with sugar. That's completely fine. But really this, this unfolded because of a very active campaign that the sugar industry took when the guidelines were first being established. Um, they sort of hired this, um, I guess, paid off a group of scientists and put together this report which said sugar in the diet of man. They released it to 25,000 sort of journalists and did all these documents and, you know, front page of the newspaper and sort of the press release said that, you know, scientists dispel sugar fears. So it really kind of wiped out the discussion around sugar. And the FDA actually used those findings in their report, but what they didn't realize was that it was actually funded by the Sugar Association. There was no transparency there. And I think other countries then picked up those findings because the FDA had such authority at the time. So again, this really gave sugar a free pass for the next 30 years. And look, uh, some of the scientists I spoke speak to in the film, Barry Popkin, um, Kimber Stanhope, these people are the ones that have almost gone solo for the last 20 years and thought, well, you know what, there's more to this than, than we realize. They've really looked at excess fructose in, in depth. And they've been trying to get their heads, uh, sorry, their voices heard. But of course, the industry is so powerful that they get shut down, they'd be ridiculed, all these different tactics that we saw going on. And it really wasn't until Robert Lustig in 2011, it was, where he did his lecture on YouTube that went sort of viral, that he brought all that finding to the mainstream again. And suddenly, it's just been this avalanche ever since. And what's been terrific is that people are now funding research on sugar, which they didn't 10 years ago. So they're looking into the effects of sugar on mental health or moods or on the pancreas or on the liver, and they're getting these incredible results. And that's why things are sort of starting to unfold as quickly as they are now, because we've actually shifted the spotlight back onto sugar. So much so that some, you know, some of the science now around that saturated fat is saying, hey, it might actually have a neutral effect. It might actually not be as negative as we mm-hmm. thought in terms of its link to coronary artery disease. It's actually got more of a neutral effect. So, you know, it's a very fascinating time at the moment. I mean, it's almost, you know, things are being shifted and pushed onto their heads. I know our guidelines here in Australia, a huge debate about the amount of carbohydrates and refined carbohydrates we're told to have. Again, small amounts, you know, a sandwich a day is not going to hurt you. But when you're being told to have six to 11 serves of these kind of things, it's absolute madness when you understand how these carbohydrates behave in the body. Excess amounts, you know, you think of how we make foie gras and we force feed carbohydrates to to, to ducks or geese. You know, we don't feed them fat. We feed them excess carbohydrates, which turns to fat in the liver. And sadly, I think we're seeing that as a symptom right around the world at the moment. We just had last week a new RDA push for the actual calorie amount to be larger on the label here in America. And by the end of 2017, early 2018, we're going to have a percentage for RDA for added sugar. Now, this is exciting because it's the first time something like this has been pushed. Now, of course, there's also footnotes from the FDA where the sugar industry mounted a 
crazy offensive attack saying this is dangerous. We shouldn't be telling people how much sugar they should have. But here's what really alarms me the most. When we look at the new and the old label, yes, there's recommendations for carbohydrate, for fiber, for fat and saturated fat, but there's absolutely no recommendation, even with the new label for total grams of sugar a day. And it brings up something for me that when you came to America, one of the first things you did, you know, you were got off the plane, you were jet lagged and you had a Jamba juice. How much total sugar was in that Jamba juice? Uh, I think there was 34 teaspoons of sugar in that Jumba juice. Um, So I'm not sure how many grams that is, but it's a lot, about 136, 140 grams, yeah. And you, you know, probably were on cloud nine and then you crashed. I guess my concern in bringing this up is we're seeing some positive changes here. I don't want our interview today to just be all frustration and pointing the problem and and highlighting that because there's some definite solutions that are coming down the pipe. But still, even with the solutions, we're still seeing a ton of resistance to fight progress. And I think when we draw the line from what happened with tobacco, you know, there have been many, many examples where these tobacco CEOs and business owners from Philip Morris went on record to the Congress and the Supreme Court of the United States and spoke into a microphone and said, nicotine (laughs) is not addictive. When do you think we're going to see this shift in the food industry around sugar? Oh, look, again, it comes back to this this notion of it's a system that sort of has to make money to keep going. And that's why, you know, even if it takes lying, that's what they'll do. And if you look at the comparisons, you know, the, the whole approach from the tobacco industry was to delay and create ambiguity. And that's exactly what the sugar industry are going to do. The more they can stretch this out, the longer they can keep their profits rolling in. So, you know, that's that's what we're up against. But I think, as we were alluding to before, with the power of social media now is that we often say to people, you know what? Don't worry about the guidelines. Don't worry about what the government's telling you. Don't worry about what these food industry companies are telling you. You take the power yourself. This is the beautiful um, modern era we're in now. You can do your own research. You can understand how to calculate the teaspoon of sugars you know, in, on your foods. You can know that the World Health Organization recommends about six teaspoons of added sugar a day. Do it yourself. you know. And if you're actually sticking to real foods as opposed to these processed foods, that's the simplest way to deal with this you know, overall. Stick to eating real foods as much as you can, your fruit and vegetables your nuts and seeds to snack on, you know, all the other foods that you can have that are part of nature. Because I think we forget that we are part of this natural world. And when you're eating those foods that are in, uh, in accordance with that, your body knows how to deal with those foods. It releases the right hormones. It tells you when you're full. It stores fat and, and burns it when it needs to. But the minute you interfere with that process and start having these processed foods, you really mess up your metabolism. And that's when your body starts to really struggle to deal with all these different types of foods. So really the simplest thing to strip it all back, to avoid all the confusion, is to try and eat the majority of your foods as the real ones, shop the perimeter of the supermarket, and then have the occasional treat or occasional processed food. But I think we've got to horribly round the other way. We're just having too much processed food and only occasionally having a real food. But if you can actually find a way to swap that around, and trust me, your palate does adjust. I'm a guy who had two vanilla Cokes and a chocolate bar every single day of my life. And now I find a banana sweet. You know, if I can do it, I know that any other person out there can do it. It just takes a force of habit to change and, and to start looking at food in a very different way and to see it as actually something that can benefit you and give you an incredibly positive life full of vitality and good health. Have you been thinking about or currently in the process of kicking a sugar addiction? There is nothing more powerful to help support you than letting go of sugar, than feeling satisfied, satiated, and complete from eating real foods. In addition to your clean diet, helping to reset the natural hunger mechanism during these two to four weeks of detox can be made easier by taking in high-quality proteins. Whether you're looking to let go of sugar or just get more energy, 
Perfect Hydrolyzed Collagen is your source. And just two servings of this organic grass-fed, digestive-supporting, and joint health-integrity-building peptides, you will control those hunger pains and support natural energy through 18 different amino acids and in 20 grams of protein. Click over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce and save 10% off your order by entering wellnessforce at checkout. Help control your hunger pains and most importantly, start letting go of sugar. Let's jump back to the powerful conversation with Damon Gamo. One of the things that we focus a lot on the show is behavior change. You know, what do we need to know as far as knowledge and tools about how to move us towards being more present, more authentic, and just living a more fulfilled life? And I think Mm -hmm. it starts with education and knowledge. Let's unpack the types of sugar scientifically. You know, we have glucose, lactose, sucrose, and fructose. Can you break down just really quickly the difference between each one? And then we'll highlight fructose and how that's metabolized through the liver. Sure. So basically, I mean, glucose is there's, there's the majority of foods we eat break down to glucose in our body. So um, fruits and vegetables, also your, your sort of whole grains, breads, pastas, things like that, they break down to glucose. And our body is usually pretty efficient at dealing with those. We've, sort of, we've got used to understanding how to process those sugars. We can store them uh, for later in, in, in what's termed, uh, termed glycogen, which is like spare batteries that we use. And, and we, we run off those spare batteries when we're not eating or when we're sleeping. And we've usually got a pretty constant supply of glucose if everything's running smoothly. Then sucrose, which is the table sugar that we're all used to, that we have in our coffee or a tea, that's a combination of half glucose, but then half fructose, which is a different type of sugar. Now, fructose is the sugar that makes things taste sweet. So anything you taste that's got a sweetness to it uh, usually has fructose in it. And as we spoke about before, it was very rare when we were evolving in nature. So maybe if you came across some fruit, uh, which was seasonal, or maybe in some honey, if you were brave enough to take on the beehive, that was really the only places you could find fructose. Whereas now, as we know, um, thanks to you know added sugars, but also high fructose corn syrup, it's found in about eighty percent of the foods that we eat. So. Uh, the difference between the fructose and the glucose is that because it was so rare in nature, this fructose, when we set, when we saw it, we developed this enzyme called fructokinase, which means it pulls the fructose out of our bloodstream whether we need it or not, and it quickly puts it into our liver. And if our liver is already full because we're eating other foods, then it turns to fat very, very quickly. And that's what we're seeing. That's what happened to me in just three weeks of having this suddenly having this excess fructose. My liver turned to fat. In fact, by the end of the 60-day experiment, I had full-blown fatty liver disease. Now, the interesting thing here is that just 35 years ago, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, virtually it didn't have a name. It was that rare. And yet it now affects nearly 1 billion people around the world. And increasingly, we're seeing children develop this disease as well. And this is what was really interesting that came out of the experiment for me was that there's this kind of belief that, you know what, you get obese and then you get all these metabolic symptoms as a result of that. You get your fatty liver and you get your type 2 diabetes and your heart disease risk because you're overweight. But what happened to me was the other way around. Before I actually started putting on all this body weight, the, the external, the subcutaneous fat, I actually developed this fatty liver very quickly. And then the, lib, the fat from that liver in the form of triglycerides went around my body, um, interfered with my insulin, so I became pre-type 2 diabetic. And then that raised um, triglycerides impacted my heart for the heart disease risk. So this is a really important sort of thing we're starting to understand is that you don't need to be obese to be ill. And in fact, 40% of skinny American teenagers are metabolically unhealthy. So you'd never pick it on the outside. Larry's a great example in the film, The Mountain Dew. You would never pick it completely skinny. But if you actually did a scan or a DEXA scan from inside, you'd see that all his fat is actually gathered around his 
organs. And this is the toxic fat. This is the dangerous fat. And again, it explains why our obesity levels are rising about rising by about 1% around the world, but type 2 diabetes is rising by about 3%. So they're not uh, directly correlated. There is a difference here. You can be of a normal weight, but still be ill because you're having too much sugar or other food. There's this term that you talked about in the movie. It's called toffee, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. I think here in America, we call it skinny fat, but it's, it's <laughs> unique because, you know, with this high consumption of fructose, specifically among all the sugars, this weight at the center of the body, this internal organ fat, this mesentery fat, this visceral fat, this is the kind that can slowly build and remain unchecked for years, causing people to die early. I mean, look at somebody healthy who jogs every day, but has toffee and they could pass out and there was no indications that they were even unhealthy at all. No, look, it's, uh, I've got someone in my family who's that, who's, you know, no one would have picked, he, you know, he's a professional footballer his whole life. In his early 50s, he just had a heart attack, you know, had to have a quadruple bypass. And he used to run 20Ks every day, but he also drank three cans of Coke a day, you know. And once they opened up, all the fat, even though he was very muscular on the outside, all that fat was gathered around his heart and his organs. So it's just something for people to be aware of. And, you know, even if people are having huge amounts of, you know, fruit juice diets and things like that, which, you know, again, you might lose a lot of weight, but it's just important to, not everyone, but it's important to maybe go and get a test and just see what sort of state your liver's in just to make sure that everything's going okay because, you know, you can shed that subcutaneous fat, but you might be developing the internal fat. Damon, I love that you brought up the DEXA scan. I'm a digital health coach, so when I work with my clients, I have them first thing, get a DEXA or a BOD pod to see what's going on with this mesentery fat. And it's interesting. I just want to paint this clear picture for people so they can make this correlation. When we look at liver function, you know, it stores glucose, but if the stores are full, the liver is yeah. going to push that fructose out and it's going to be sent to the body and stored as fat. And then that can push triglycerides up, correct? That's right. And look, and that's really an interesting thing too when we look at the film at the, around the manipulation of science that some of the food industry do. You know, I've had a couple of scientists explain to me how easy it is to manipulate the evidence or the studies to show that, you know what, if you are, if you've slept overnight and then you give someone, a, you know, say a can of Coke first thing in the morning, what it's going to do first is top up that glycogen, the spare battery. So it won't actually turn to fat in the liver. But if you give that same person a can of Coke after they've eaten lunch, which most people would, that's when it turns to fat. So there are these very clever ways that you can doctor the results of your studies to show that, hey, you know, sugar's fine. There's no problem here. It doesn't turn to fat in the liver, but it's all about the timing and understanding the processes of the body and how we deal with those different sugars. You know, when I was a kid, my, I was raised on welfare. So, you know, that means processed cereal, blocks of cheese, and kind of a lot of high fructose <laughs> corn syrup products. So I had to learn, I got the opportunity to learn in my adult life, what it really means to be healthy from the inside out. But, you know, for people that don't have the course of wellness in their life and they're bombarded mm -hmm. every day at every street corner, uh, on the phone, on the TV, on the computer, where they're just hit up constantly with this claim of personal responsibility. You know, we oh, need to man. take personal responsibility no matter what's going on, we shouldn't get involved in meddling with the affairs of parents and their children. But yet most working parents only get about four to six hours with their child a day. The rest of the time they're sleeping, their kids at school, they're getting hit by little yeah. Debbie snack cakes in the lunch line. I mean, <laughs> how do right. we deal with this personal responsibility claim from the industry? Oh God, it's, yeah, it's, it's infuriating for me because you know, I do understand to a degree. Yes. You know, we do need people to sort of wise up a bit and do a bit of reading and, and understand the tricks that are going on here. But you know, that's what a government's there to do. It's supposed to help us out. It's supposed to protect us. And it's not to tell us what we can and can't eat, but at least, like I said before, make the playing field level. Because, you know, as I discovered in the film, I had this sort of, you know, I put my brain into sort of a, a scan, which sort of measured the response to sugar. And my brain lit up just by seeing a picture of a chocolate milkshake. So before I'd even 
sip the thing, the dopamine in my brain said, oh, yeah, get that. Now, understanding that, what happens, you know, if I, there's that person that's vulnerable who's sitting in their car at the bus stop and suddenly, you know, the, the, the bus pulls up alongside them and it's got a giant Krispy Kreme donut on, that is actually affecting their brain in some way. It is actually triggering. Now, the industry have known this since the 70s. The advertising industry, the food industry, they've known this exists. And to an extent, the government do too. So what's their responsibility there? They need to actually step up and actually start patrolling, regulating, sharing that information, you know, especially the people that are the most vulnerable. We do it in other areas. We know that the brain lights up with gamblers and other things. So we have warnings. We're sort of a bit cautious with people and sort of, you know, we don't cover everyone, but we just sort of look after the most vulnerable. And I think we've got to get to that with food because there are people out there that are incredibly sensitive. And the problem is in academia that a lot of these people think, oh, look, sugar addiction is not real. It's a joke because they don't understand it and they don't relate to it. And then you see someone else who who write to me or, or, or I'll speak to and says, you know, I, I find it easy to give up heroin or cigarettes and I did sugar, you know, and you think, well, goal, that's very real for them. So we need to look after those people, you know, and it isn't about personal responsibility because as any of us know who've been through any kind of addiction, it completely overwhelms you and food is a nightmare. If you want cigarettes, you've got to go to a specific area. They're not advertised everywhere. You've got to go and ask them. But the poor person that might have a vulnerability to sugar goes into any 7-Eleven, any kind of street corner, and they are just slammed with the very thing that they're trying to avoid. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, we talk of this obesogenic environment, and that's what we've got at the moment. And I'm pretty hopeful and, that, you know, that we can start to look at how we're, we're dealing with that and change over the next 10 or 20 years. Are you on Snapchat? Is that sugar film on Snapchat? No, I'm no, I'm no. I don't even understand Snapchat. <laughs> I'm 36. I'm like begrudgingly kind of diving into Snapchat. But one of the things I did in preparation for this is I filmed and I saved it. I'll post it on Instagram later this week. Uh, I filmed yeah. myself going into a garage at about 8 p.m. at night. You know, usually at 8 p.m. people are tired. Decision fatigue has set in. Yeah. This is when we're most likely to make those bad food choices. And guess what? When you're making those food choices, there's always candy bars at the counter. I mean, people know the food industry and store. Know they're going to sell way more product if they kind of tacitly approve of this decision yeah. fatigue. What have you seen in the research from these scientists in regards to decision fatigue and why people choose those sugary foods over the healthy mm. foods? How do we circumvent this decision fatigue when it comes to sugar? Well, the science is that it all comes down to this hormone insulin, which means that if you are feeling a bit flat, then these kind of refined sugars, these quick fix kind of chocolate bars and whatnot they will spike your insulin very quickly to clear out the blood sugar. So you will get this kind of burst of energy very quickly. But the downside of that is that you'll crash very quickly as well. And then, you know, what the science is saying is that you can release all sorts of uh, adrenal glands, cortisol, whatnot, that can actually make you feel quite fidgety in some people or anxious or even restless or edgy. And I'm certainly one of those people, I can testify to that, that if I have too much of these quick fix kind of sugary foods, I'm just not a very nice person to be around. It does affect me very strongly. But as you said before, the industry know this stuff and they're very, you know, you know, seeing some of the papers or emails I've been shared, you know, have their jostling for position in terms of being that, that, that sort of, um, uh, I guess, stand as you first open that door, that they're right in your face. They all, this, these are prime positions, the same as the supermarket. They know they want to be at the, the child's eye line in the middle of the row in that cereal aisle because that's where the kids are going to go first. And they've even done tests where they put cameras on kids' heads and they map out the areas of where they're looking. And this becomes the prime real estate in the supermarket that, that, that goes for a higher price. I, in fact, even know that some companies like Coke have bought out the other um, areas just beside the key areas to, to fill with their lower products just because just so that the competitors can't get in that space as well. So again, once people start understanding this level of manipulation that goes on, you know, you, you, your skin starts to kind of 
um, you know, pop up where you hear this kind of personal responsibility because you start to see what's being stacked against us. And whether it is these kids, you know, testing all the different flavors of puddings or Nestle employing 700 PhD scientists to understand what makes foods addictive and why we crave them and a mouthfeel and what it triggers in our brain, suddenly this word personal responsibility starts to take on a very different meaning because you realize the odds are stacked against us. And, and once you power yourself, empower yourself with that understanding of how you're being misled, it makes you look at the entire food industry differently or even shopping. I mean, I often go for a, I'll push my trolley around and laugh because I know the games they've used or the signage they've put up at the front of that aisle just before I go to the checkout and you think, oh, you cheeky buggers because you can start to see the tactics they're using and that's very empowering. And if you can then teach that to your children, you make a game out of it, you play suddenly you transform your whole experience of eating and shopping. I love this. You know, one of the things when I really started to learn about these powerful tools of what sugar can do, this is 2009 for me. And I got so angry. I was just like pissed off all the time. And that's not how we're going to solve anything. You know, no. it's normal for us to feel anger that kids, you know, I have nieces and nephews and I'm scared for them. I'm really pissed off for them. You know, they're going into these environments in the stores where they are just hit up from every angle. I mean, there's video games, Damon, that have yeah. brainwashing where you can be like Pepsi man in a video game. Oh, I know. It's just, it's yep. incredibly, it's incredibly deleterious to kids' health, but let's talk about solutions. So people are listening. I, I'm, I'm sure they're fired up. If I know the audience, like so people are ready to make changes <laughs> for action steps. I think it was David Wolf, and he, he talked about this emotional component we talked about earlier. But in order to let go of the sugar addiction, we first have to heal ourselves emotionally. We have to be able to go through the awkward yeah. and uncomfortable experience of letting the sugar go. And that can take two to four weeks for this kind of craving to go away. What yeah. was it like for you, and what tips do you have for people to let go of sugar? Yeah, we, um, you know, if people do want to dive in deeper at our website, thatsugarfilm.com, we've got a free ebook and lots of recipes that kind of really help people. Uh, get started on the journey and if, if they then want to go further, there's a book, that sugar book and there's a guide, that sugar guide which is all recipes and tips and just walks people through the process of even how to shop and just how to transition from a very high sugar diet because I think there are some people out there that really sort of go up, well, you just make it really severe and you cut it off like cold turkey and that's it and you just you know endure the pain but we're kind of a bit more of a gentle approach than that and in really helping people to prepare some meals that will help the transition and that's where we think fruit's a really good thing even if it's a, some blueberries in a salad or a bit of dried coconut flake on something just to help your palate adjust because we know from the science now that it takes about eight days for people for their palates to adjust. Um, in fact, 86% of people said it took about eight days and then when they actually tried a sweet thing like a can of Coke two weeks later, it was too strong, too overbearing for them. So you really have to hold on to that, that your palate and your body will adjust. And most people have had sugar every day of their lives since they were probably two years old. So they actually don't have an experience of what it's like to not have it. So uh, we really try and encourage people to maybe just sort of set aside a couple of weeks and go, you know what, I'm really going to give this a go. And just be kind to yourself, um, learn to sort of replace these foods. Don't look at it as though you're depriving yourself or you're eliminating or removing or quitting anything. You're actually stepping into a much better way of living your life that might even put years onto your life, but it will also improve the quality of your life, your vitality, how you feel in the morning, your moods, how you relate to people, your, even your road rage. I mean, things, this, this, they fundamentally change when you understand how important food is, not just to your physical symptoms, but to your entire well-being and the way you operate and the way you perceive the world. And this emotional element is really true that, you know, I, I sort of got to a point of thinking, I don't want to rely on a substance for my happiness. I don't want something, you know, to, to sort of make me feel happy for a little bit and then down again. I want to feel more calm and even and in control of myself, uh, which then affects your entire life when you're not 
controlled by something, any substance, and particularly sugar. So, um, look, for some people, it can be very tricky. We're all different. Some people go, oh, God, it was fine. It only took me five days. I, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Then other people still write to me two weeks later and say, gee, I'm really struggling. I've got a few headaches and whatnot, and what should I be doing? And, you know, there's no formula. Everyone's going to be different, but every one of those people then write to me and say, oh, my God, I cannot believe how different I feel three weeks later or, you know, people have told me about this stuff but you have to experience it for yourself and and that's the big key is that you can't actually have anyone tell you this. You've got to do it yourself and walk your own journey and then you have this day where you wake up and you go, oh, my God, that's it. That's what people have been talking about. It's almost like a fog lifts or, or a cloud lifts and suddenly, you know, you might find a carrot sweet and you go, I've never, ever realized that carrots had sugar in them, you know. Sure. But this is what happens this is the magic of of our palate and our bodies that want to eat these foods and we've just absolutely clouded the, the, uh, our, you know our, our whole body with these processed foods but once you strip all that back and start getting to real foods again you'll see how your body responds i think there's different camps for foodies and by the way it gets super heated on your social pages sometimes with people you know <laughs> debating and like it's almost like they're talking about religion or politics this food oh, piece and um but it was it wasn't like some complicated thing you know you simply just swapped out your cereal and your low-fat yogurts for, you know, some clean eggs or some lean protein and some vegetables for breakfast. And maybe you had like a salad with some protein for dinner. And then you had like a chicken or a lean fish and some cheeses and almonds for snacking. This does not have to be some overbearing process. We're just returning to the foods that don't have labels. You know, I have clients that say, well, how should I eat, Josh? Like, should I do pescatarian? Should I do paleo? And I say, just simply eat foods with no labels. You know, just keep it clean, keep it simple. Is that kind of what you recommend to people when they reach out? Yeah, I mean, if you look at every sort of trendy diet that's out there right now, whether it's you know low carb or paleo or Mediterranean, whatever it is, the common denominator is that they don't have refined sugar in them. You know, they're real foods. So yes, you can argue, and you know, depending on your preferences, you might be lactose intolerant. You might not be able to handle meat. Some people will be able to eat more carbs than others. Like you know, we're all different in that sense, and you'll you'll tune into your own body and you'll get a sense of how you feel. But the common thing to start with is just to get rid of that added sugar because there's no biological requirement for it. Our body does not need added added sugar at all. We can have it as a treat every now and again, but we can get all the sugar we need from fruits and vegetables or other sources. We actually don't need added sugar, and that's again a myth that the industry has been pushing. They call it a nutrient. It is not a nutrient in any way. The occasional treat. Absolutely fine. Go for it. I still enjoy it myself. But to think that we have to have it is just ridiculous. So, you know, that's the simple way. I mean, this doesn't have to be as complicated as, as you think. Like you said, just go for the foods without labels, eat real foods, and watch how your body starts to adapt to that because it, it's almost like saying, thank you. This is what I've been craving. Let's get back. This is the, these are the foods I understand. I know what to do with that. I know how to process that. I'll get rid of that. I'll burn that for the right energy. They know how to function. But if you're putting in all these processed foods, you're just complicating the system and it's short-circuiting and that's why you're trapping fat in different areas of your body. You're tricking your appetite controls, you're eating more than you should, you're just interfering with all these precious, delicate hormones. But if you go back to the real foods, avoid those labels, your body knows how to deal with them. You had this powerhouse team. You had what you call the chief sugar advisor. You had a nutritionist. You had a medical doctor. You had a clinical pathologist. You had a highly educated team that walked you through this process. And there was a point where you got scared, like, hey, am I going to actually do some irreversible damage to my body? (laughs) But listen, I mean, anybody out there, no matter how far down the sugar rabbit hole you've gone. Damon proved that you can reverse this fatty liver. You can bring back normal appetite control once you remove the fructose and the high amounts of added sugars from the meals. 
you know, we talked about the swapping of the foods. We're going to link all the resources for that sugar film at wellnessforce.com slash sugar. But the last piece of the show is my favorite, man. It's where we get to know you a little bit deeper. It's seven questions for seven top of mind answers. Are you game? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. If there was one thing you could change about fitness or wellness in general in America or Australia, what would that one thing be and why? Uh, you can't outrun a bad diet. That, that you, you still have to make sure that what you eat is just important. Exercise will not cure everything. What is one thing you would tell your 18-year-old self if you could go back and just give him a little note in his pocket? <laughs> what would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could write him a note oh, quickly? Cut, cut back on the Red Bulls and ditch the Marlboro Lights. You don't need them. <laughs> Do you have a specific mantra or message that you tell yourself now as a father and a filmmaker to get you through life struggles? Do you have a meditation or a mantra that you cling to? <laughs> oh, there's a great quote from Oscar Wilde. and He said, if you want to tell people the truth, you got to make them laugh or they'll kill you. Mm, I love that. That's what you did with your film. What's the biggest lesson that you learned uh, about being healthy as a parent compared to being a single guy? Uh, that your children actually mimic you and copy your actions. They don't listen to your words. They do what you do. So if you're eating right, they will copy and want to eat what you do. So you've got to show in front of them the right way to do things. What's your vision for your online community that you're building? And what legacy do you want to leave to the planet when you're gone? Um, I think it's just around empowering people, you know, not telling them or preaching them what to do, just giving them the right tools and information so that people can be empowered and they can not, they can cut through all those mixed messages that are out there, all the advertising and actually make their own decisions. During the, the making of the film, was there any one point where you thought, okay, this is the one thing that I have to get people to know from the film. If there was one takeaway you could say about the film in general for people to really feel, what would that takeaway be? Don't underestimate the effect of sugar or food on your moods and your mental health. I think that's an area that's starting to hit the mainstream, but we talk so much about the physical symptoms, but the Lancet Journal, which is a very respected medical journal, said we need to look at the link between food and mental health in just the same way that we look at food and physical symptoms. Last question, Damon, what is wellness to you with all your filmmaking expertise and being a dad and going through this process of growth, empowering hundreds of thousands of people? I mean, how would you describe wellness? What does that mean to you to be well? Um, vitality is the word for me. It's like the spark in someone's eyes, um, the health of their skin, that they've slept well, they've rested, they're not stressed, they've put down their social media for a while and they're eating the right food. So that you, you, know, you can spot it when you see someone straight away. They're, they're immersed in nature. They might swim regularly or go for a walk, but there's just a certain glow and spark in them that says, you know what, I'm living my life to the fullest and I'm, I'm operating in a healthy wellness way. Mm. Well, thank you for your work, man. I just want to pause for a second and truly honor this huge beacon of truth that you're putting out there, not only to Australia, but the world. I mean, there's been a big backlash here in America from the sugar industry, just from the tiny progress we're trying to make <laughs> on the label. So films like the sugar film and what you're doing, man, they really help to educate people. And that's how we become better as a collective. So thank you for your work. Oh, my pleasure, Josh, and congratulations on what you do too. I think uh, we're all in this together. I think the, the sooner we can combine powers and get the message out there, then we'll turn it around a lot faster. There is something really powerful from Gandhi, and it really fits here. And it's first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I'm hoping that's what people feel about this intrusion of sugar into our everyday lives, how we can rise above this. It does not have to be this elephant in the room. And thank you for having this conversation, man. My pleasure. All the best. That wraps episode 61 with Damon Gamow. What a tremendous episode. I seriously was shaking at certain points because I was thinking, I wonder how this is going to land with people. You know, there's a lot of camps around sugar. 
Some people are all about, you know, using the repeat method. Some people are all about doing just pescatarian or paleo. But no matter what your opinion is on sugar in the diet, I challenge you this week to take an honest look at how you feel and the food choices that direct your moods in regards to sugar. You can get all the links and notes from today's episode with Damon at wellnessforce.com slash sugar. Download his free guide for the sugar substitutes. He's got some really amazing workbooks for people that have high stress jobs, how we can insert different foods and real supplements into our diets. Let me know if you have questions about this. I'm always here for you. And I don't just say that on the air to say it. I really mean that. It's josh at wellnessforce.com. If this show resonated with you, please share it with a friend. I depend on your energy and voice to get this message out to the iTunes world and beyond. We have so many powerful reviews and I would love to get your voice on there as well. Next week, a surprise episode. You know, every once in a while, I like to do surprises and surprises are more fun, aren't they? And we're gonna talk deeply about something that involves men and women together and the ties that break our bonds or signify a greater connection. Now you get to go and have the most amazing day that you create with all the tools and inspiration from Damon and every other guest that's been on the show. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.